Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Truth That Heals podcast. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and today I am with a special guest. Her name is Erin, and I want to welcome you to the show, Erin. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate being here. Uh, really excited about it. Cool. So I've I met you through TikTok and, you know, I've been meeting quite a few people and I've been noticing that not just me and you know, not just a few, but there are a lot of people out there who have their issues with this thing called purity culture. Now, for me, I never heard that term until maybe six months ago, that term mm-hmm. purity culture. I know what purity is. But I didn't know what purity culture was. Uh, to get this started, I wanted to ask you, what does purity culture mean to you specifically? So um, a lot of what purity culture comes up to me as in, in my experience has been is that as going through um, a church, a lot of the times it is during southern baptist kind of stuff or uh, a lot of non-denominationals and stuff like that they will definitely take um the lead in pushing you want to have um a chaste wife and things like that like things that are looked forward to and something that you're supposed to strive for is to stay pure and not have sex until you're married um to come to the marriage bed unblemished is a lot of times like they'll they'll use different terms and things like that um keeping yourself pure in the sense of how you present yourself in public with that being like how much you cover up or don't cover up and things like that how you present yourself as a lady of christ or anything of that faction is uh, a lot of submissive type of behavior and it's also comes about looking a lot like you know again just the term pure um with you know that you've been untouched that you've had no experience or anything like that and so that's kind of what they're gearing you towards is to be chased to be uh, uh have abstinence and things like that like everything to just elude away from any uh sexual contact with somebody else stuff like that until you are married completely And I think you you said the word unblemished. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the view I'm the view I'm getting from speaking to so many other people who have been through this culture is that it's sort of a black black or white black and white kind of uh, concept. Is that either you're blemished or you're unblemished? Mm -hmm. Is that and so those who are you know quote unquote unblemished, uh, sorry blemished. Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> that they are looked upon as the worst of the worst. Is that how purity culture? There's a lot of judgment. Okay, there's so a has lot a lot of judgment. Of judgment. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of judgment that comes around for having sex before marriage in any type of evangelical Christian community. Um, that is, and it's it's crazy because uh, they they push it so much that, you know, it it seems unnatural to even do that because the first reaction that you're going to get out of a kid, especially is if you say, don't do the thing, or this is going to be the worst thing or something like that, a kid's just going to go around and do the like exactly opposite and just go ahead and do it. But um, they, they really push the idea of um, 
chaste, pure, unblemished, like these terms that mean that if you, it really is just, it, there's no gray point in, um, in any scenarios really of, you know, just being a human being, like being a kid, being, you know, or not a kid, but a, you know, a teenager and stuff like that. There's just not very much room for, um, life, I guess, to actually happen in between there. And there's not a whole lot of guidance between that gray area between either being a virgin or not being a virgin. And so they don't, it, it just is typically a, it goes one way or the other. You either have or haven't, you either are or aren't. It, it's just very, very black and white, like you said. So the way I'm seeing it, because, you know, I've also been in a very strict controlling cult i mean my yeah. in, in my family i think it was very it was very uh open for me you know to go dating to kind of explore uh so i didn't really get that from my own church family experience my upbringing but then later on when i was in this movement i really started seeing a little bit but not to the same effect as you because um mm -hmm. it's just, just a different story and that's why i want to hear your story because i want to learn and sure. educate myself but it, but with that mentality that some of these uh religious people have and i respect everybody uh however it's i've noticed that in some in some of the ways that these people speak it's a very they look at people as either being angelic or demonic kind of that black or right. white if you fall immediately like for the rest of your life you're going to be an outcast you're a demon you're bad and if you're pure you're you're the angel now does yeah. that does that mentality only stay in the church or is that also in the communities in, in the families do they have this view that if you uh lose your chastity that you're doomed for life uh is, yes. is that perspective held very much so. Okay. So what a lot of the times what they'll preach in church is definitely the same thing that a lot of the families will commit to um, as far as how they handle situations with like say teenagers and stuff like that who are having sex before marriage. There is a lot of um, chastising. There's a lot of judgment. There is a lot of um, singling out. Um and obviously it's as soon as anybody knows it's just as bad as gossip is in there as it is in any high school or something like that um and then whenever things come down to the families a lot of the families have such core beliefs in that that's how the whole unit should be ran and that their belief the parents belief should also be the belief of the child and so when somebody is found out to have had sex before marriage or they ended up having a baby or something like that. There's a lot of shaming and a lot of outcasting that will happen between the church and even a lot of the families. Okay. So there's already all that shaming just for not keeping that chastity. Uh, so we've used words like abstinence, uh, chastity, you know, stay pure, stay unblemished. And these are all, you know, I'm not against it. If someone wants to do that, go ahead. That's your choice. However, did they teach, teach you terms like boundaries, consent, uh, respect for your body, or was that not even in the dictionary of purity culture? 
So the first thing they'll swing out of the gate with for sure is just making sure that the idea of being virgin, pure, untouched, they'll use those words before you'll probably hear boundaries, consent, all of that. Um, they'll start with that. And then um, a lot of the times, a lot of the youth groups will hold a um, sex education, if you will. Um, and most of those are actually more centered around abstinence education. It's not actual sex education. I have been in presence of one that actually did a good mix of the two that it was in my opinion that it had very good science and it was trying to preach the idea of waiting until marriage, which is all great ideas because I mean, if we think about it, we all, I mean, the the consequences of having sex is obviously typically a baby. A lot of times we want to we want to encourage that that doesn't happen until you have a partner to be able to help you handle the burden of a baby or anything else that you know that can become about of that. And so I would think that that would be kind of more of the idea that would be pushed. But in fact, it's more of a again they will start with you don't want to come into the marriage bed having if you didn't if you ended up having sex whenever you're a teenager with somebody and then you don't end up marrying them then you're going to come into the marriage bed with having been with somebody previously and you're going to have to hold that with you and and your body is not going to be able to attach as well to the next husband and all this kind of stuff and a lot of it is very pushed even more so geared specifically towards the girls um more than anything and doesn't give them a whole lot of room to strive for much outside of, you know, the marriage besides make sure I'm pure, make sure I'm ready to have a family and that I'm a submissive wife kind of ideas. They don't prepare you for much more in the aspects of relationships than stay pure, love your husband, submit to your husband, kind of stuff like that. And for the guys, when they have those talks, I haven't ever been in presence of them. But with my husband, uh, he said that, you know, they give you just as much, um, you know, with responsibility, you know, with power comes responsibility and all this kind of stuff, kind of like I mentality of like, you're the one that is supposed to be kind of in control of the situation and stuff like this. This is on you not to push the girls and blah, blah, blah. And so there is a bit of boundary there and they'll start with boundary with boys a lot of the time from my understanding. And in that in that aspect, I feel like makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But with the girls, they'll almost always start with a purity stance or a purity or cleanliness or anything like that, of an untouched, all that kind of you know, virgin mentality is where the conversation typically starts. So you mentioned just a, a minute ago about you I think you were saying that you heard a talk where the presenter was speaking about uh you know, the faith regarding purity, but also the science. So mm -hmm. it kind of, it kind of had more reason behind it. Um, yes. Was that often the way it was presented or was it mostly presented as a, like a finger, finger wagging, don't do this or you're going to be blemished. It was, I would say that that occurrence of hearing that talk was the rarest occurrence of using science in a faith-based setting I have ever seen. Um, it has always been a bit of a wing of, of finger wagging and, you know, shamefulness if you, you don't stick to it and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of, you got to stay inside the lines. And if you don't stay inside those lines then your consequences, internal damnation. And so, uh, 
it kind of is a little uh savage <laughs> and yeah. like you said there's not very much room for for that gray area um whenever it comes down to the talks and stuff like that that they have so i feel that i've started this interview like just going straight into the purity culture my first question was about the definition and then getting into it uh now just shifting gears just for a moment uh can you share with us a little bit about your faith journey because you you mentioned that uh that you have a husband earlier and that he also went through those purity talks. Uh, can you take us back to uh, how life was before you were in this marriage and, you know, where your faith has brought you? Yeah, for sure. So I did not have any type of religion or faith base uh, growing up until I was probably about 13, 14 in junior high. Uh, ended up going to church group at a Baptist church uh, with a friend and ended up, you know, liking hanging out with everybody and having a place to go once a week and all that kind of stuff. I liked the way the message had presented itself. It seemed like it was such a great place to be and, uh, and get to know why we're here, get to know like how, you know, to run life and what to do and all that kind of stuff and understanding about God and, and making that relationship. And, um, and so, um, and then, you know, evangelical Christian community, uh, we use the term I was saved. Um, so I was saved at about 14 at church camp and, uh, like so many of us were, um, but yeah, growing up Southern, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the Texas area of West Texas, it's a lot of faith-based community conservative kind of place. And so a, a lot of things, there's not very many things to do on the weekends or anything like that, or during the weekdays. So one of the few things that if you wanted to get together with friends, you could go to church. And so we did a lot of socializing that way. Uh, grew up through the culture of um, evangelical Christian community pretty heavily to the point that I was getting into the youth group and then I had become a youth leader as I went off to college and things like that and um and then I got married the first time when I was 20 years old and then was very quickly divorced within about a year and a half to two years um due to a lot of trauma that came out of um indoctrinations of a lot of stuff through the church culture, even um, not just our own little things together, but a lot of influence around it. Um, and then I was 27, 28, whenever Nathan and I got married and we've had our daughter for, we've been married for 11 years. We've had our daughter for 10 years and we've just kind of been cruising through that whole, you know, life thing. You know, a lot of it was very centered for me around church church community, uh, fellowship, you know, activities. I, I spent a lot of my time in the church uh, from the ages of 14 to about 24. In, in this podcast, a lot of people, you know, share their stories, mostly negative regarding mm -hmm. church. Uh, but do you have any positive memories from those those years when you were in the church group, the youth group? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that if I hadn't had things like that, my life would have been a lot harder. I didn't have a lot of support at home or anything like that. And my parents weren't around very much. My dad was always working. And so the church 
really gave me a family that I didn't get to have, you know, on a daily basis and stuff like that. So I was very thankful for the support that I did get and that the good people that I did find out of it, um, you know, there's still family to me today. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world, whether we have all different views or opinions at this point, you know, 20 years down the line or not. But um, church definitely gave me a a place to be grounded and a place to to learn for sure, because I wasn't given really great examples of family life and things like that. So I got to be submerged into other people's families as they took me in and stuff like that on and off. Um, so it was, it was very good and very positive for so many other reasons. So I, I hear like a mix, you know, there, there were some bad times, but then there are also some good times. So that's, eh, it's life. It's a mixed bag life. of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were talking about earlier um, how you said that there was indoctrination through the church uh, culture, how that kind of was was what made it difficult for your matrimony, the first one. Uh, yes. can, can you kind of help us understand what is it like to be in the marriage when your only preparation is purity culture? And again, you know, you mentioned the tools that the, the, the the terms that they gave you purity stay clean stay pure what is it like after being uh, indoctrinated with that to then go into a marriage well so with with that indoctrination there they do a lot of you know marriage counseling and stuff like that as you're about to go into marriages in in the church and stuff like that um they want you to do a lot of times a marriage class together with like a counselor um, before you go through with it and all that kind of stuff just to kind of make you sure that everybody's thought about their p's and q's and and is really sure that they're going to do this and all that kind of jazz give you the best setup that you can probably have or whatever um but some of these little workshops that they'll do in workbooks they'll um kind of do like they did in like high school where um, they would have a workshop where it's just the guys and it was just the girls and the fiancés and all this kind of stuff. And they have like a guys and girls night. And I think I even remember they did it like with neighbors for us, like right next door, like the guys were in one house and the girls were in the other and stuff like that. And they're working with a workbook. And so as a teenager, all you're, you're getting is, you know, sex is something that is, is for married people. Sex other than that is bad. Um, it's not a good thing. It's, it's sinful to think about it. It's sinful to, you know, engage in it, you know, it's sinful to, you know, whatever. And, um, and so you're given a pretty much negative view of sex other than it's going to be great whenever you're married, <laughs> you're going to have a great time or something like it's going to, you know, they don't even like give you a whole lot, especially even as a teenager in the realms of, it will feel, you know, it's going to feel great. You're going to have a good time. Like if you're in a, you know, in a respectful, you know, relationship that everything will be good and all this kind of stuff, you can, you can be yourself, blah, blah, blah. They don't give you any kind of information like that. It's just sex is bad. Don't do it. Wait till you're married. And then, you know, everything, you know, submit to your husband. And, and they say this loosely submit to your husband because they don't even, I think, fully understand the term that they're trying to use to control the situation 
And if you go into, you know, further research on, you know, uh, translations and stuff like that, it's very skewed on how it's been pulled and, and used and indoctrinated, as we talked about. And so you go in and you, you've had this kind of view when you're in high school. So you're getting, you're finally into a relationship, you know, you've done everything you can to be good, all this kind of stuff. And in my case, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, a virgin whenever I came into my marriage. And so the whole reason that I even went into my marriage in the first place was I had had shame that I was having sex with another person. And ultimately, and I, and subconsciously, so much of this stuff happens after these types of indoctrination is that I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've had sex with somebody else. I, I need to commit. I love this person. I know I do, but you know, I, I need to commit. I shouldn't, I, I don't want this to happen again and blah, blah, blah. Like there's enough shame that's happening and it being a sin that I, like, you can literally have as simple thoughts as that about the whole situation. And then when it comes down to the whole reason that you actually got married in the first place is because you felt bad that you were doing stuff out of the marriage bed and things like that. And so we go into, you know, the college years and stuff like that. They're still preaching about the same thing. And then you get, you know, engaged because all these people are waiting and waiting and waiting. And so one of the first thing that you do when you become an adult is you try and get married so that you can you know, start having sex, start going, moving to that point. And you don't think about it as that clearly, but again, it's pretty much the subconscious thought of any 18 to 24 year old in the department of, you know, mm -hmm. getting married and all that kind of stuff in the church culture. Like you're, you're ready to get married because that's the thing that you're excited about. And that you're for the girls is so much of a goal is um, to get married, to, to serve your husband, to uh, rear your children and bring on the next, you know, warriors of faith and all that kind of stuff that you know terminology that we like to use but um it it's it's so weird because when you go into the marriage counseling or to the marriage workshops you think oh they're going to give us a little bit more of an understanding of like even like what do we do something like because you're not having you haven't had sex education you haven't had a lot of stuff you had abstinence education you don't know what is considered faithfully like okay to do in the bedroom and stuff like that. Nobody talks about that type of stuff. They just tell you and prepare you that you're, you know, wanting to stay pure and then you're wanting to um, be ready for the marriage bed and stuff like that. And they don't even lay out any type of groundwork to explain what any of that means they just leave it as loosely as that is as much information as I've just given you and okay. and just be be prepared be ready you know all that kind of stuff and you're like well what does that even mean <laughs> like and there's nothing but confusion especially on a female's part if you have been sticking to it and then on the male's part they're pushing a narrative of a lot of dominance that's in the relationship and that there's, you know, the male is the leader, the male is the head, the male is the, the one that is in charge and that women are supposed to submit. And so in these workshops, they're literally giving them information that's very much indoctrinated. And I even remember reading about this specific workshop afterwards for specifically the term purity culture and how it was pushed. And I can't think of the workshop right now and I apologize, but the literal terminology in there was that 
men have a 72 hour cycle. And then after that 72 hour cycle, if you're not fulfilling their sexual needs, they're going to start mentally and wandering. And, and that's just the nature of how that works with men and, and, and stuff like that. So giving men the natural, uh, reaction to things and then putting women in charge of making sure that doesn't happen is is kind of a very odd and confusing viewpoint to all of a sudden start having pushed on you and then you're like okay okay well so if I'm not taking care of his sexual needs every 72 hours that means my husband's going to cheat on me like mentally spiritually like emotionally like what so I have to keep up with this need on his behalf and then on the women's behalf they're not really talking of anything about a woman's needs they're not talking about anything like even remotely even though that whole 72 hour thing is absolutely ridiculous and everything they're not even addressing a need for a woman to be satisfied they're not addressing needs for it to be an equal and consensual like ultimately consensual thing it it very much plays out into a, a dominant and submissive role. And they don't give you any kind of an explanation on how that is supposed to be equal in the bedroom later. And then you're left with, you know, this idea of dominance and submission. And that's pretty much the, all that they push for it. And, you know, as a teenager or a young adult, that's not enough preparation. No, that just leaves nothing but curiosity. So in rebellion, of course, especially with the abstinence stuff, if you tell a kid, don't do it, they're going to do it. (laughs) So let's go back for a second uh, to before getting married. Mm -hmm. So it's, it sounds like the reasons are, it sounds contradictory to me because they're saying that sex is, it's bad. It's evil. It's disgusting. It's dirty. You're going to be blemished. Mm Mm-hmm. But once you once you get married, you can have fun and enjoy it. Yeah, so yeah, and and then 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 they don't even give you any boundaries for that, even after that point. And you're kind of like, whoa, 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 all we've had is boundaries, and now we don't have boundaries. Like, so I'm I'm seeing that for a young adult. I mean, I've been young too, but like when you hear that that you know sex is bad, but once you get married, you can have all the fun you want. I think that that's going to push, especially young people who are really you know excited to explore a reason to just settle with whoever and not really you know go through stages of seeing am i compatible with this person because if i want if if i want to you know uh have you know sexual pleasure but it's it's all bad unless i get married in my mind, all right, I'm dating this this person. All right, let's just get let's married get already. Married. Let's why, why do this. We, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. exactly what got me into the first one. Okay, so what? What? Okay, now you're in the first marriage, and your preparation is just, uh, it's sex is bad, but once you're married, it's it's all good. You know, God's gonna bless you. Just submit to whatever His needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, can you walk us through? What is marriage like when you have been indoctrinated to to not be yourself? You're indoctrinated more, it sounds like, to just submit to his needs. Can you just walk us through what is the relationship like when you've been indoctrinated with that viewpoint? 
That's exactly what it is. It is like you have a mentality that you're not even you're not even aware that you probably really have needs. Like there's no awareness of that. Like you know that you have sexual needs by the basis of your body doing what it does, but nobody confirms to you that to emotionally and you know physically and things like that that it's okay for you to have wants and needs at the same time um and that yours yours are just as equal there's not a whole lot of equal mentality in it and then so what had happened with me is that as this mentality is being pushed you know family is a in in what our situation was at the time was is that he my ex-husband was very close with all of his cousins and things like that we all went to the same church they were a little older and we um viewed them as you know mentors and things like that and we're taking marriage advice and, and on stuff and i had just suffered a um ovarian cyst rupture right after we got married and so i like couldn't walk for like two weeks because it was just so painful it was so bad and i had just been indoctrinated into the idea of every 72 hours if you're not filling your husband's needs he's going to start wandering. And so I'm here two weeks out, can't walk uh, right after getting married and all this kind of stuff. And still in my head thinking, I have to fulfill his needs and stuff like that. I need to take care of him. Like I'm worried that he's going to, you know, cheat on me or something mentally or emotionally, or even physically, if I'm not taking care of him and stuff like that. And so um, thankfully, you know, I think there was maybe one or two times during that period that it, like we attempted to have intercourse and stuff like that. And it was very painful and, you know, waited a little bit, but I constantly, the entire time was in my head worried about it. And so I was physically putting myself into a position to keep fulfilling his needs, even though I was hurting and I was basically creating a torture effect with, with intercourse from that point. And from that point, because I didn't wait, I didn't heal very well. And so every single time that I would have uh, intercourse or sex with them or anything like that, it was very one-sided. It was kind of feeling like laying there, just taking it. And I'd be crying out of pain and he's still okay with doing everything. Cause he's also been indoctrinated with, you know, to do the deed and everything like that in almost the same capacity. And so there is a, a and again, submission and, you know, uh, dominance kind of an idea happening and basically was giving all the signs that my body was not okay with what was happening, even though I was verbally saying, okay, that's not consent, that's coercion. And if you're going to go ahead and continue to go on with that act and stuff like that, seeing that somebody is in distress and that you're still okay with doing that act, that's, that's not consent, that's coercion. And that's technically marriage rape. And so what is, what's going on is that I was allowing myself to have that happen to me, not being a part of the, the, the act and everything like that. And in turn, creating a lot of mental and physical issues that are now still affecting me to this day with my my current husband because I have to like we have to have like much more talks about like 
verbal consent. And then he's even more hyper aware of like being attuned to, am I looking like I'm okay? And stuff like that, because a lot of the, that stuff can bring back trauma issues and trigger you. And you're in this moment of having like a great time and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, just because something wasn't kind of seen or you kind of remember something, we have this whole ordeal happen. We have to stop. We have, you know, a moment it's uncomfortable, something like that. And so through the first marriage, that is kind of how it went is that we were told by the the family and friends in the church, you know, you just keep taking one for the team and it'll be okay. And eventually everything will work itself out and stuff like that. And that's just kind of how they kept giving it back to you as their mentorship is, you know, you're just going to have to work through it. We'll keep praying and we'll keep doing this other stuff, you know, like all this stuff that really isn't solving anything and which is actually creating a situation of trauma because of all this deep indoctrination of a culture that doesn't prepare you for how to actually be in, in an equal partnership in such a you know, intimate time. And as this was happening, that your body is going through that pain, did you blame yourself? I mean, because it sounds like, you know, you've been indoctrinated so much or were you compassionate with your body and were you like, you know what, I can't do this or did this indoctrination give you that view of, you know, what's wrong with me? definitely what's wrong with me why don't I why why can't I just enjoy this why don't I just want to do this too all you know it's just definitely a guilt trip that will come in and I even went through that with my my second husband as we were getting through a lot of the stuff is that I've had so much guilt that I will that I'm not I don't feel like I'm ever fulfilling um the idea of what most people think is a normal amount of sex or, you know, in a relationship or stuff like that, like, because of that early prime of, of that guilt, like it, it took a toll on my marriage that I have now for years that it took lots of therapy for us to get through and counseling and all kinds of stuff to get to the point to convince myself not to be guilty and or feel guilty in that, I also had to convince myself that he doesn't, you know, blame me that way too. I couldn't ever convince myself that he wasn't blaming me, you know, or something if I wasn't able to, you know, perform in that department or something like that. And you, you said a word that um, I don't come across very often. Uh, you said that it was very much like, or is marriage rape. Mm -hmm. Now, would you say that that happens often in married couples who have been indoctrinated where the woman, of course, you know, it's always it's usually, the woman, yeah, so it's usually the woman. Uh, where the woman is just submissive and is just going with the flow and she doesn't even want to do it. She's just performing her role. Or yeah. is that, is that very rare? I would say that if you are in, in any type of, faith-based religious kind of living I'm going to bet that at least 80% of the time there's going to unless somehow they were lucky enough to not be as indoctrinated or they got other viewpoints or something like that I'm going to bet that there is so much submission in that department that you you just wouldn't believe because you have to think about all the other type of religious cults that they 
like to really make women submissive. Like every religion has put women at a lower stance. And I would think that when it comes to any of that type of intimacy, there's not anything that's probably lacking in that department. And it's, you know, any different is that they will be put on a lower totem um needs will not be met and that it will probably be more of a situation of taking one for the team than it will be a act of intimacy in a relationship and like having a moment with your partner but like for me like the, for me though okay just the word intimacy it it takes two and mm -hmm. i feel that in sometimes in this indoctrination um it's just depending on one person whether mm -hmm. he he's feeling the intimacy but what is intimacy it's it's isn't it supposed to be like a two-way thing where it's the man and the woman or however you want to you know do your thing right where both parties are engaged and enjoying it uh but it's just so crazy how sadly you have to submit and give up your own because it doesn't sound like you're a person is being intimate when they're being mm -hmm. they're just going with the flow right and, and how does one heal from this sort of mentality that i just have to you know give it up when whenever this person wants it how does one heal from that because again it sounds so it sounds like you are not a person it sounds more like you are an object. It sounds like God doesn't respect your body. It sounds like God doesn't even give a damn who you are. But I don't right. think it I don't feels think very that's what... much objectifying. It feels very much like you become an object. I equated it to what I understand it to be like a prostitute, yeah. uh, is what it felt like. Um, and so knowing that it like that took a lot of healing to stop feeling like that's actually what I was being. Um, I did, wow. I've done counseling and therapy with different ways to like 10 different ways to Sunday. I've done the, uh, ART, which is accelerated resonance, uh, resolution therapy, um, for a lot of the things that I've gone through. It's a cousin of EMDR. Okay. Um, and I definitely recommend that for any type of trauma therapy in general, just because it helps you get through situations that replay in your mind. Um, which is huge for having that healing that we needed in my current marriage. Because like I said, you could be in the middle of the act and have something trigger you and you need to learn how to realize that that's not the current situation anymore because, you know, something could become kind of a familiar feeling or something like that. And you have to learn that, no, I'm safe. I'm okay. Everything's fine. We're consenting. We're okay. You know, all this yeah. kind of stuff, but um, lots of, counseling uh and 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 things like that talking with other people openly uh that have voice that they've had similar you know uh circumstances as they've grown up i have another friend uh that she told me that she went through very similar stuff um with the purity culture and how that affected her sexuality and that you know that made it even harder to accept herself when she decided that she wanted to come out as gay. And so, you know, that pushing people even further in a different direction, but going through talking and realizing that there are so many similar situations that you're not alone, that that wasn't normal. And, and just finding out that things weren't my fault, 
I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was always doing my best and I was doing with my best that with what I had and knew and, um, and just really communicating openly with people that it is something that happens in religion and the, in the church and things like that, that, um, it's not as fair for women and stuff like that. And kind of just starting that conversation. And every single time that I've had that conversation and I've made a connection with somebody that they're like, yeah, I had that moment too, or this is something that I kind of similarly went through. It reaffirms that that guilt, it doesn't have to be there, which gives me, you know, that healing every single time. Um, doing my own faith research, um, doing translations of the Bible based from, you know, original context and stuff like that. And just learning and researching on my own has helped me heal with a lot of the stuff that, that can result in, you know, being mad at God, being mad at your faith, things like that. I found that if I went through and I actually was learning specifically from translation to, you know, from A to B, rather than from A to Z to F to, you know, an E and then over yeah. and all this kind of stuff into English, you know, you, there's so much loss in translation and we lose so much concept, you know, from how much is cherry picked, especially in the church and in messages that we get all the time when you go to camp and all this kind of stuff that is happening, just going beyond what is given to me as information and doing my own research and doing my own faith counseling, having that relationship with God still where I, you know, consult with him daily. Like, is this where I feel like I was because of social understandings and social expectations, or is this where we're supposed to be with our relationship and what you've given us and how you've created us to be? Um, just having a lot of those deep conversations with myself and God and meditating has been the biggest part and just giving myself time and space to feel all those things over again and see them from a whole new perspective of being older and a little bit wiser mm -hmm. and uh, and having a partner that is willing to go above and beyond to do anything for me to make me comfortable, to make me feel understood, to make me feel heard, all those types of things are, you know, that network of support uh, of how I've gotten as far as I have. And again, I'm still healing every day. You know, there's always stuff that can be brought up from it. And, you know, uh, having children can re-trigger a lot of stuff whenever you're starting to have conversations about how, um, morally we feel about stuff and so moving into that next stage has been kind of different um but again counseling talking to somebody and uh just bouncing all of those ideas off of with a non you know biased mm -hmm. idea is is pretty nice to be able to get that that bounce back of understanding that you're not alone you're not in the wrong. You're just a human being doing the best of what God has given you. And you're just trying to navigate the thing that we call life. <laughs> and you've spoken so well in helping me and the audience understand what life is like with that viewpoint of everything is going to be your fault. If your husband, you know, in the 72 hours, if he cheats on you, that's your fault. If, right. if, if you're not dressed properly, it's your fault. So you really mm -hmm. helped us to understand how life was like during that time but you've also helped us to understand 
the potential a human being has when they're on that healing journey because it sounds terrible just submitting to someone else's needs but mm-hmm. you are just an object and i think you've really broken down how valuable it is for a relationship not just to be one way but for it to be a true intimacy because i think i mean mm-hmm. i really think that's what god if god exists i do believe he does but if he does exist I think he will want it to be true intimacy rather than objectivity. And then going back to that uh, kind of, you know, good or bad kind of relationship with, with God, it's either you're good or you're bad. And how in the church, it was very, you know, either you're an angel or demon. Do you think that when you started this healing journey, were did your relationship with God evolve? Did it change or did it stay the same? Was there more intimacy with God? Was there less intimacy? I don't know. Walk us through that journey. So I, it has so evolved. My idea of what my relationship with God has, has been, has substantially changed from being like what we call a little baby Christian you know, whenever you first get saved and stuff like that and kind of just wandering around and and doing that whole, I'm learning about all the rules and all the stories and all this kind of stuff. And you're at that time, you're just living on that high whenever you're saved and you, you just become a new little baby Christian. You're living on a high of, of taking it all in. And I, I have all this freedom in life and all this kind of stuff. And then and a relationship with God is very much um, freeing, you know, it's just like that freeing moment that you have with them. And then going into, uh, you know, teenage years and college, my relationship with God was very much tested because I was so much immersed into the church during those years, but I was also having to understand myself and trying to work how that does that all like play out and um and so going into that first marriage I thought that I was very faithful and stuff like that and what my idea of faith again through that indoctrination had to be rewired because I was in such a mindset of um just being the perfect Christian, like that idea of how you're supposed to look the whole time and behave and everything like that, instead of actually having the experience of life yet, and then falling to God or, you know, praising to God and stuff like that during life's moments, I was just on the, the, the narrow, just always just trying to focus to make sure that I was just doing the right thing. And so my relationship with God was kind of more of like a, keep me in line kind of parenting kind of thing. And, and then it's so funny because I always say, I really didn't feel like I had a relationship or an understanding of God until I became a parent um, in, in understanding what, what grace really is and understanding what, you know, the hopes uh, that the father has for us and stuff like that. And I, and seeing more of why we call him the father and all that kind of thing. And just understanding how to have a relationship outside of church, because something is something, uh, you know, going through religious 
experiences, we are taught, you know, a lot of times that we need to be in fellowship and we need to be having, um, you know, lessons and, and ministry and all this kind of stuff in this, in this certain type of music to be having genuine faith moments with God and stuff like that. And even in some other religious sects like Catholicism that you have to go through a priest even to have those religious experiences and, and, you know, release your sins or anything like that. And then realizing that as I went into the, to the research on my own, that I feel more that it's just God is one with me and I never have this separation type feel before, like anymore, I've gotten to where I have a better understanding that as life is happening around me, that is God showing and revealing himself to me and that it doesn't have to look like this perfect, pretty Christian idea that was taught to me, um, that is supposed to be coated in white and pure as snow, or it doesn't have blemishes or anything like that. But in that the mess of it all is where we find our faith even more is that we can lean into God at those times uh, when we're feeling just as helpless and just as far from that type of idea that we've been given. And, and sometimes when we pull away from religion, we find God even more so because um, we're having a one-on-one relationship experience. And at this point where I am now, I am so thankful and I feel like I can't have one thought to the other without it being with my creator. I I feel like my faith is ever stronger. I feel like I um, can navigate uh, through discernment a lot better than I ever was able to, because again, I allowed the bigger scope of life to start giving me more experience rather than just following a guideline and letting that be how I get through life. Um, and so that's kind of where I have gone with it. It has very much evolved and I, I can't even imagine how it's going to go over the next 40 something years, but um, it's, it's been an up and down relationship. I've had faith loss at one point, you know, whenever I had the divorce and stuff like that, um, because I thought that that was all that I was supposed to to be like that I had failed at my role that I, that God had given me. And so I had went through that for a while and and it just took time and um and just remembering what really what grace is and that we're supposed to have it and that we need to remember to also maybe give God that a little bit every once in a while. And you hit on something which, you know, is a good reminder for me as well. Uh because sometimes people are often their relationship with God, I think, is based on their relationship with the church or with the community, people. with people. Uh, but you're bringing the reminder that if someone wants to have a, you know, one-on-one with God, um, you know, if God is all-powerful, then I think, you know, hey, he's not going to shy when, away When from does that. it stop? When does it end? Yeah, yeah. Where's, yeah. where's the line? So I, I think that's beautiful where, I mean, if someone wants to have that relationship where they go to church, um, you know, do your thing. But if someone wants to also pray from their home on their own, I think that that I believe from hearing you, from what I'm learning, is that's deeper intimacy where you're not just, you know, having that mask or maybe it's not a mask for some people. But I think sometimes people can put a mask and they can go to church. They can look all holy. They can look look all nice in front of the pastors, priests or whoever. But then at mm-hmm. home, you're totally miserable, and that relationship with God isn't there. 
but it's beautiful yeah. that you can keep that relationship with God or with your family wherever, be it at church or when no one is looking. Uh, right. So so now to kind of wrap things up, what advice would you give to a young married couple or a couple who's maybe thinking about getting married? What advice can you give to them, let's say, if they've been immersed in this indoctrination of purity culture? Uh, any words of advice for them? Um. <laughs> Like I kind of said before, with anything uh, now that uh, with religion for me is always do your own research for one, uh, find uh, good translations. If you're going to be living out of the Bible, you need to actually know the real Bible. Um, the King James Version is definitely not it, um, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, doing the research, giving yourself time and space to be because a lot of times in these relationships for these young couples that are have been indoctrinated is that they're so immersed in into this you know idea and giving yourself time from each other where you have to think about real life aspects beyond anything that you wrap faith around like day-to-day -day stuff all that kind of stuff you know you need to go through a few real life um instances to kind of see how you know how to lean on each other um and and have those conversations that are very uncomfortable and you know it, like one of my biggest things that I regretted was always just not willing to be uncomfortable and and because I wasn't uncomfortable I you know or I was allowing myself to stay comfortable enough I wasn't voicing that I thought something was wrong um, but when I started having those harder conversations and actually asking questions of like, you know, what do you think is okay? Or like asking somebody else, you know, what they feel is acceptable instead of being ashamed, um, definitely have communication open for anybody and anything to be able to, you know, make that intimacy that you're actually searching for when you're searching for a partner um communication really is something that you think is easy and it's just oh I'm just going to talk to you I'm just going to say the thing but you uh, intimacy is not just being comfortable with somebody but being willing to be uncomfortable with someone and so you know get to those hard places dig deep be willing if you can't get to those deep dark places with that person that's probably a good red flag <laughs> to say I, you know, maybe this isn't it and stuff like that, or it could be a good green flag that you can do those types of things and, you know, roll with that for sure. If you can find somebody that you can get uncomfortable with, um, I think that that'll give a good basis for how you can handle a lot of problems that will come your way uh, through marriage for sure. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. It has been very helpful for me and I hope for also the audience to have a better understanding of what purity is like, that purity culture and what a healthy relationship should look like. And it's not just being object, you know, being uh, submissive, uh, but there's more to it. And what's often forgotten is the intimacy, uh, not only with a partner, but also that intimacy with God. And I think that just gets all mixed around. And like you said, sometimes things get cherry picked. But I think that you really 
helped me and like I said, hopefully the audience get a better understanding of what healthy relationship should look like. And I want to thank you so much. It's been a blast having you on this show. And I'm always thankful to advocate for any uh, thing that I have been through. I'm, I'm all for everybody taking their experiences and just giving it a testimony one way or another of how we are more connected than you think. And you're never really as alone as you think. So awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, again, it's been an honor. It's been a blast having you on the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. So for, for the audience, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez from the Truth That Heals podcast. Have a good day.